Welcome everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of Erman and Jason Spin the Yarn. In this lovely episode, we are going to talk about some interesting things. We're going to talk about uh, climate a little bit and we'll see what we get into. Herman, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. So I have been looking at apartments around Cape Town because I'm, you know, looking to get my own place and have a bit more nice. like of a creative space for myself. I've got a couple of my eyes in a couple of good places. You're going to um, have a studio. I'm going to have a studio, yeah, and it's going to yeah. be a good studio. One of the nuances that you have to t keep in, uh, in account when you're searching for a property in Cape Town is just how absolutely wild the wind gets up here is that yeah. if you're in Wilmer Estate, where I currently live, or Freidahook, or parts of Woodstock, the wind can yeah. be absolutely frightful. And I mean, it can be frightful in most parts of the city, bar where it's kind of protected by the mountain in Newlands, Claremont area. But on this side yeah. of the mountain and in the city bowl, it gets absolutely ridiculously windy, especially in Freidahook and Wilmer Estate. And especially in February, I think like you're just getting into it, the end of summer, some like for me february you're without a use for a plastic bag because they will just get blown everywhere and that is what the question of today is and the question is what would happen if the wind never stopped just globally globally so it, it just started blowing one day and people are like wow, so one, it's yeah so one it's day a bit of a windy february and then <laughs> well okay you know... you'd be like oh it's february i mean it's, it used to be windy but it's just not stopping i know because i well uh, when, when I was last there, uh, I think it was actually before I left the first time to the UK. It was like a particularly windy February. And when you like indoors, you got like the, the windows sort of hammering against the side. There's like, like a flexes kind of, you. Yeah, they flex. And then there's like a kind of constant sort of whirring noise past the window, you know, making making you kind of aware of how creaky your house is or whatever. Let's let's do a bit of clarifying over here. Um, So... Uh, are we talking like globally it's going to just be really windy like one of the particularly windy days in february or is it just going to be like kind of windy because like cape town windy and Joburg windy are two very different kinds of windy yeah so let's just let's say it's somewhere in the middle so it's not uh, it's not super windy like gale force that's unmanageable but it's constant and all right it's, it's just there stopping. the entire time it's just all there right, it's all right, like game. it's if you took a fan you take it so you've got three settings on the fan you got one two and three you put it on two and you put it about uh, a meter from your face. And that is what it is the whole time. It can change directions. Let's give it that. You know, it's not just a constant sort of oh, yeah. fan against your face. Spins around. I guess this is a uh, result of human negligence and climate change. To a certain degree, we could probably talk about that. You know, you know, there's a whole sort of thread around climate change and how it could affect, you know, the way crops are, are grown. Uh, one thing that I thought of, you know, Christmas trees after a certain amount of time, you know, uh, if you've ever seen a crisp, like a, a pine tree that's been, uh, you know, growing in the wind, you'd see that all of the branches are kind of on one side. So um, in that sense, uh, if if this was to happen, then all trees would have just one side, right? Because they'd all be trying to go to the side that's... Trees in Cape Town are fairly interesting because they are generally like bent over in the more extreme areas, like in Sea Point or in Frida Hook, they all have a very distinctive, you know, toward the ocean bend. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I have noticed about just pine trees in general around Cape Town and including in like Newlands and stuff is that they all have a particular shape, even if they're not bending. And that is very long bare trunk with a tuft at the top. And I, I'm not a, I'm not a arborist, but I assume that that has something to do with both competing for light and also it just reduces the amount of wind resistance. So it's like, here's the leaves. 
or here's the needles in this case that receive the most amount of light while creating the least amount of wind resistance. Whereas if you're in, let's say for instance, the Eastern Cape is those trees are actually like very thick and luscious with needles because they don't need to cater to the wind. So they just maximize for photosynthesis. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not an arborist either. It could be. Uh, I yeah, know that, I'll just you put know, this on the are... show notes. Both Herman and Jason are not arborists. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've got our non-arborist cards so we can show people that we're not. Um, I guess, yeah, I mean, one of the things is, I mean, along with that, you know, trees, uh, one of the things is, like, you know, sand, right? It would be quite dusty, I guess. It would, uh, there would be a lot of sand flying around. So you would have to, like, sort of start wearing uh, sort of goggles outside. I mean, in certain areas, you know, if you're by the beach. I mean, I have proposed this idea to you before about the cape, the cape goggles. Yeah, it's just it's just a pair of goggles that you wear in Cape Town when it's windy because crud gets in your eyes and it is annoying. I took some some goggles to a festival at the end of last year and Mm -hmm. they were like steampunky goggles and they were all very aesthetic. But on the third day, the wind kicked up and it was blowing around that Karoo sand and everyone was like wiping stuff out of their eyes the entire time and i'm just like walking around with these goggles yeah extremely utilitarian and steampunk yeah i mean that's that's probably the vibe i would go with right if the if the wind never stopped i guess the thing is you would never you would never i mean for the first few few weeks or months you'd just be you'd be thinking like hey it's it should stop at some point right surely so let's talk about let's talk about the way that the way that living would change um and let's let's focus first on home design because currently we don't necessarily build homes with regard to the wind even in cape town is homes are pretty much built to stand upright and sure to not blow down in the wind but we don't necessarily take into account the acoustics of the wind or the or the general wind direction like we take into account sunlight and where the sun rises and sets uh, depending on the season so i hypothesize that we would start building houses to be a bit more aerodynamic to yeah. cut down on the sound uh, that would come through and also like windows and door fittings all those fittings that open up to the outside world would be better insulated like do you remember my place in Freedahook back in the early days of Cape Town where the pink house uh, uh yeah dead by Deer Park where yeah. uh, there would always be pine needles in the kitchen because they would find a way through like the keyhole or something during the gales yeah yeah they'd, they'd creep into your bed through the drain pipes or you know however they <laughs> yeah. get in uh yeah i think i think that's a good point so i mean the, i mean first of all it would make sense to have a lot of insulation in your house so that you can't actually hear the noise i think that that constant sort of white noise of wind always outside at, in the house you know that would drive me personally quite insane Dude, so I, well, I think the reason that it, that it does drive you insane is because it's not white noise right is that it's actually it changes right yeah. so if you've just got that white noise, you can kind of zone up for this, but it'll be like nothing, nothing. Yeah. And then the window in the bathroom will slam and you're like, oh, I hope it's not cracked. <laughs> yeah. I hope the door didn't break off the hinge. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, but it has, a, it has a psychological impact. Definitely. Like the days when it's really windy, especially if I need to go outside to do something is like, I feel agitated. I feel anxious for no apparent, no reason, except yeah. for the fact that there's just so much like crud flying around and it hurts like, okay, I guess it doesn't hurt my ears, but it just irritates me that sound and that motion yeah. everywhere. Yeah. The positive sides, lots of kite boarders. Uh, I think they would get, you know, very enthusiastic, right? Um, 
all of the wind-based sports sailors would just have a field day. I guess maybe, you know, sailing, you like say you like the wind when you're out at sea, but when you're like back on land, you, you prefer like a nice beach with like, you know, sun and sun and relatively little breeze. Definitely going to be having a day of it. I mean, they're already filling up just uh, just down from Musenberg on the on the windier days. Even just the humble kite flyer. So someone who, you know, a guy who's got a kid, he wants to take his, his kid, you know, to go fly a kite. Uh, I don't know if that's what millennials do these days. I think they're more on like TikTok and, you know, running their own. <laughs> to fly a kite on TikTok, businesses. you can do that. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I don't know if you've ever done that and gone out and like you go out, it's windy and then you get there and it's actually stopped or like the wind's not enough or, you know, you have to hold it and like kick it up before you start pulling. Come on, man, get up there. (laughs) Get up there, you stupid. It's just like performance anxiety. Come on, man. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the... I actually saw like in in, uh, one of the parks in London, there was this, this dude. He was like the coolest dude ever just had this like really long string that like just extended up into the into the heavens and then at the end was like this really small kite and he was just there like chilling with his kite like flying this thing <laughs> but i mean it was like it was flipping high i think it was must have been like it, it seemed like a, like at least 100 meters high or like 200 meters high so it was really like getting stratospheric so what other activities would you now be able to do that generally you wouldn't be able to because as far as i could like i can only think of kite-based activities yeah there's kite go-karty type things with the sail the thing is like once we establish that it is constant and it's not gonna ever stop then we can get into like would we be able to use it for like a consistent form of energy so if we went were to get around on kites uh instead of motor cars uh (laughs) or uh, i think that's a bit of a that's a bit of a hard bargain just because of the directionality of it like in the ocean when you're sailing a sailing boat you're going kind of in the right direction but you don't have to stay on the road (laughs) i think in terms of getting wind energy right uh that would definitely be a positive positive side so i i agree with you over there i think um wind energy is a big one but before we move completely off of uh wind transport is one of the reasons that we don't really use sailing ships anymore for like containers and stuff is because diesel is a lot more efficient and you don't have to worry about there not being wind. But if we've established that the wind speed is constant, we could theoretically have like a sailing vessel, like a giant containerized, like container sized sailing vessel that maybe just has a diesel thing to get it into and out of harbor or it just relies on tugs for that. Yeah, I think so. So. I've seen some of these designs for, you know, cargo ships where they basically are trying to utilize wind uh, in addition to having, you know, the diesel generated motors. So on the wind front, we just maybe it would just be a matter of making it more rapid to convert to those technologies where you have these huge sails. Maybe it's like I've seen those like stratospheric kite boats. Uh, I think I don't know if they're CGI or if they're real. But they mm-hmm. it's, they take that kite, they attach it to a, a boat, and basically, you know, you get a bit of a performance in, improvement in terms of like right. not polluting so much. So those neat. kind of things, I think, would be quite quite interesting to see. So one of the things about having a completely consistent wind energy everywhere in the world is that means that you have a consistent form of renewables that is also theoretically decentralized. So like you could essentially pop up a wind power plant outside of every major city in the world and that would work exactly 
So here's another thing. Here's another question. So we've gotten used to having some wind now. So would there be a number of people that would try and recreate what it's like to be without wind, but indoors? So would we move to have more indoors? So say, for instance, inside of your aerodynamic building, you would have kind of like you have an indoor ski slope. You would have an indoor beach where it would be mm. protected from the wind to a certain extent, but also allow water to come in. I think we'd create a lot more outdoor, indoor spaces because have you ever gone hiking when it's really windy? It's, it's shit. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. So I guess like so many good things would be lost if it was just windy all the time. Like every <laughs> outdoor activity that I enjoy would just be shit. Like, like <laughs> you, you hike to the top of, this, of Lion's Head or any mountain and you just want to have like a peaceful look out over the, over the you know horizon and look at the view and then there's just this constant you might have headphones on or you might have to have like earplugs so it kind of keeps the noise like, mm. down so yeah you can look but uh yeah. i guess the thing yeah like those outdoor activities would definitely be changed but i think the thing is would would it get to a point where we would start to terraform or change the earth or change like would humans seeking that uh sort of resource of not having the wind want to try and create these experiences where you can, you know, escape from it. Mm. No, that's fair. I, I think that geoengineering projects are generally, they generally all die at a con- conceptual stage is no one actually ever goes and intentionally changes the environment. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think more people would just move indoors, right? I think there'd be more mm. indoor-based activities. Which would be kind of shit as well. Well, I really don't like this this uh, this dystopian this dystopian this future. Scenario. Despite the abundance of green renewable energy, it seems like like the reason that we the reason that we do try and have renewable energy is to not fuck up the environment and create severe yeah. weather patterns. But the severe weather patterns are here, so I'm like, why not just burn coal then? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and I think I think the 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 question is kind of seeded in more of a kind of question around like at one point if you talk about climate change or you talk about these things there's going to be a point where it becomes uh, affecting us right you know like everyone's like ah it doesn't really affect me you know like you know i i live in johannesburg there's no sea that's going to come and uh, sort of wipe me off the face of the earth there's no like rising tides maybe the, the crop production would be a little bit harder you know one of the things that you want to require is like give your plants like time to grow but I think it's that thing, you know, like eventually there's going to be a point where like global warming is uh, not that dismissible. So you're going to have to be able to either work with it or if we haven't like dramatically gotten on course, then there's going to be a problem because we're going to have to deal with in the, in the winter, you're going to be sweating all the time. So there's, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance and d- topics like cl- climate change have become so ideological that have you watched the movie Don't Look Up? Yes. Uh, so I like that. Uh, that is such a good movie as a like reflection of uh, mankind sure dramatized to what it is today. And I do firmly believe that we're going to let's take, for instance, we do <laughs> fuck up the climate and it's now windy all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think that a certain sector of people, despite overwhelming scientific evidence saying, we did this. The reason it's windy is because we didn't do that. We didn't do the things we should have. I think it, like that'll just be completely thrown out because it's backwards justified. I was uh, I was watching a good folding folding ideas video on flat earthers, right? And the 
the way that they reason about stuff is they start by taking a truth. The earth is flat and then working backwards from there, right? So it's not about looking at evidence and then justifying upwards. It's about taking the end result and then justifying downwards. And yeah. that's kind of where we are with climate change. So even if we do start seeing, and we are already starting to see dramatic weather patterns uh, happening everywhere in the world, it's not going to be, uh, oh, shit, I should have listened to the scientists yeah. back in the day. And I think you're also going to have a couple of sects be like, oh, yeah, no, this is uh, actually the divine reckoning. It's going to be the rapture. Yeah. And I guess that that kind of like touches on a point around maybe like the philosophy of science in, in a sense. If you cannot prove that it is determined by this carbon fact to 100% certainty, does it in fact have is it is it proven that it is the the reason right you, you can always ask for more information so in the same as a flat earth that you can always like you know prove that you know it's, it's like the child asking why all the time so you prove one thing and then they like ask me ask you to prove the next thing whereas mm. like if you're building it up from like principles you're building up you know based on facts and you know data then you get to to the result i definitely agree like working working backwards from in in that sense yeah it's not it's not the greatest one and I, I think that well for me that movie don't look up i was in half a mind about it it depends on what my mindset you are originally right so if you're like if you're a nihilist or a kind of <laughs> you're you know a stoic <laughs> you're like well well life's meaningless anyway so like why is the guy you know getting so worked up about it if there's no i mean i guess up until the point that the first they had an option to change change the course of that movie right so which i think was a very good representation is like we've known about climate change for a while now and we do actually have it within our power to prevent it from the worst case scenario yeah but we just have to do something about it yeah. if i could change one aspect of the movie right it's you know, all the uh, wealthy connected people, they're like, oh, shit, the asteroid's going to hit. Well, we're going to hop on these space shuttles and go to this other planet. And they do yeah. go to that other planet. Sorry for ruining it. This for anyone who's, who hasn't watched the movie yet. But when they, when they get there, there's the creatures that are similar to dinosaurs on this alien planet. And they're yeah. like, oh, this is everything. And then they get eaten by dinosaurs. And I think that to better illustrate the allegory that they're trying to create over there is the rich people should have gone to this new planet and everything should have been great, lived in a utopian dream, you know, and started fucking up another world because mm. having the end of that movie be like, ah, well, at least they got eaten by dinosaurs in the end doesn't emphasize the point that we're destroying the earth and like uh, yeah. wealthy and connected people are looking to make their escape or whatever, and they will be fine. Whereas the majority of people are going to suffer. So that's where I would change it. I'd be like the rich people should, should live happily and healthily for the, until the end of their days, maybe discover immortality. And we should be sitting there at the end of the movie seething. Yeah. Yeah. They should, they should go on and, and live and have a pro prosperous life. Uh, I guess it's also like maybe part of it is that like there's no escaping everyone, right? You can't, it's not just as simple as like, hey, let's hop on a plane and, you know, travel into the galaxy. Like even, you know, there's so many unknowns that unknown unknowns out in doing that. The, this whole like Muskian fantasy of going and like living on Mars and how that's awesome and everything is even if we fuck up Earth, 
Like I'm talking, we not just have rampant climate change, but we also like nuke all major civilizations in the world. And like, we absolutely shatter the world, right? Still, despite that, still much more easy for us to live on earth that is completely shattered than to live on Mars. Yeah. (laughs) It's like breathable atmosphere, right? We might mess with the atmosphere a bit, but it's still kind of breathable, but things grow here and we can eat them for food. It's got an electromagnetic field that protects us from solar radiation. Our bodies have adapted to this kind of gravity. We go to Mars and we start like getting, you know, feather boned and stuff like that. Uh, And also, you know, not being able to breathe the atmosphere over there or <laughs> It'd be quite stuffy, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. Ro- like you, you'd wish you were on Earth with like the constant wind, because you'd be like, "Wow, I wish there was like a breeze at some point." <laughs> right? Because, because, like, if you think about it, living in in one of those little bubbles on Mars would be the equivalent of living in a bunker on Earth. So, just yeah. live in a bunker on Earth <laughs> and, and shut up about it. <laughs> Go do that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not that I, not that I don't support space exploration i think there's some yeah. good stuff to be found out there and i'm all for like asteroid mining and all that yeah but i'm like people who are like oh yeah we're gonna go and live on mars i'm like fuck you jared you don't know what's good <laughs> you know what's good it is one of those things i think there's a lot of like goodness and there's a lot of uh, sort of technology that comes out of those exploits and i guess it is like a lofty goal that you know people can strive for right it's uh you know, there's challenges, but they can be overcome to a certain degree, right? So we Maybe not to the extent of having artificial gravity, but evolution has a way of uh, adapting. And I think even in the, you know, annihilating Earth kind of point of view, I don't know if when last you went to a museum or like a natural history museum specifically, but thinking about like those dinosaurs living so many years ago, right? It's like millions of years and the brain has this problem where it struggles to even comprehend such numbers as like, you know, a billion, right? So we have a hard time with like a hundred thousand. Let's be completely honest. Exactly. I'd uh, recommend anyone out there to go look. There's a few sort of sites out there that kind of give you a comparison of like 1 million versus a billion, what the difference is. And in that time, so in a billion years, as long as there is some sort of life still left, it will evolve to almost, you know, more than what we had. We'll have different types of creatures. You'll have different, you know, elephants and like all of these animals that we see today. So it will evolve back to, you know, some form of, you know, life, right? Because as long as life's mm. not completely wiped out, you know, you've got time. <laughs> uh, fact of the matter is that like animals would evolve to cater to the fact that there's a lot of wind. I mean, you'd probably yeah. not have... Uh, as many like flying animals like the birdies would have a hard time i'd also have a hard time if we think about it again from from the point of view of a society is in our last episode on unlimited electricity we covered how societies tend to prosper from access to energy right and this has been shown again and again the more energy a society has access to the better the quality of life and the development of infrastructure and education and everything else that follows on so as it stands right now wind energy is neck on neck with solar energy and being the Mm -hmm. cheapest form of power um with the problem currently being uh energy storage but assuming wind power is on all the time is 
even though Earth would be dramatically changed, all societies would have access to essentially an unlimited uh, source of power. So farming as we currently understand it would be very difficult. Like I don't think that crops can grow in, in constant wind. I think we'd probably have to like set up wind barriers for farms uh, or start growing everything inside. But I it think might accelerate have, things like vertical farming, right? So exactly. We already have those technologies that are emerging, but it might expedite those technologies to become more reality because I think unless it's like a, a plant that grows underground, potentially it might, it might lead to sturdier plants. You know, I know mm. one of the things about like uh, grapevines is that they need to be stressed in order for the wine to become good. Right. <laughs> so there's actually a really interesting uh, study and I really want to get my hands on what it was, but essentially researchers created these bubble environments that were closed environments with life and trees and stuff. And they had a problem that trees kept on falling over. And yeah. the reason that trees kept on falling over uh, and breaking is because they needed that wind stress in order for them to develop a good root system in order for their trunks to become strong. And uh, that constant stress of wind, or not the constant stress of wind, but the uh, stress of wind every now and then was very important in the development of a good healthy tree. Is it uh, the Eden Project where they had Could these uh, sort of biodomes kind of almost you know, replicating what it would be like to live on, on another planet. I think I watched some of those uh, YouTube videos and I think it was like catastrophe after, after catastrophe. Like, you know, the, <laughs> you, people were uh, smuggling food in for them. I think there was like a specific coating on the inside of the walls that re- like took in uh, oxygen and just like released meth- methane or something. So it had oh. like a negative effect. So they had to like re-strip it because it obviously had an effect on this kind of natural almost like you know you get those sort of globes with a with a sort of little sapling inside of it and it just kind of grows it's one of those things where it's just like there's a lot of complicated stuff going on and it's not just as easy as saying like let's take let's just take it and put it indoors right let's take for instance okay we've got we figured this out we now have uh, societies that are predominantly indoors so like sidewalks Mm -hmm. are generally like inside of cities at least are covered or like covered or at least wind protected i would i think we would see a lot more cities like johannesburg where there's a lot of trees growing because trees are a really good way of damping um dust and wind and so that was actually one of the reasons why johannesburg is the largest man-made forest in the world is because of all the mine dumps uh back in the day the wind would kick up the the dust and grit, dust and grit, and it would annoy everyone. So they, the government's just like, all right, let's do a lot of tree planting. Planted so yeah. many trees, and now Johannesburg is a lush forest. Despite that, we all in Johannesburg get into our cars from in, inside of our garage. We get into the car, and then we drive to an underground parking lot, and then we yeah. get out at the underground parking lot, and we go up into the workplace, and then when we go to a restaurant, we also go back into our car to the underground parking lot up to the restaurant and so it will be a very very in indoor based system and then places and like if you're say a farmer or a longshoreman or something you would generally have you know hearing and eye protection and maybe a respirator whenever you're outside yeah that's it i think also uh one of the things are like in dubai they have sort of these elevated kind of well they've got like a monorail system but 
maybe it would be like sidewalks. You could have like these kind of long tubes where you can kind of be protected while you're walking between different places. You know, not have not not have to go outside too too often. I think it would adapt to that rather than just like everyone just grinning and bearing it. I think that would it would probably be a luxury because again, we still yeah, you still have to <laughs> you still have to think about like people are going to be really upset. <laughs> they're like they're not going they're not going to like it. Uh, and I guess maybe if you got money to kind of escape from it in terms of building stuff around you then is there is, is there other routes i like the idea of the the plants i know that mm. plants are very good at uh, especially if you have like a freeway or like a road by a house in terms of like the dust that gets kicked up specifically from things like the rubber and the in the tires so yeah. i like that effect that it has uh, i think that cape town could do with a lot more a lot more trees inside the city because it does have it does have the effect of dampening the wind and it also has the effect of catching, you know, dust and stuff and providing shade. Like, especially on Sunday, uh, on Saturday over here was, we were the hottest, uh, the hottest place in the world. It was absolutely ridiculous. A trail runner died of heat stroke yeah. on Devil's Peak. Uh, wow. It was just an absolutely incredibly hot day. And uh, I would have loved to have been able to walk down the street with some tree cover. But no, it's just like cooking sidewalks. And I know that trees wow. aren't really native to Cape Town so much, mm. just because you know it's the Cape Floral Kingdom. We're all we're all about Fainbos yeah. here. But some, yeah. I, I'd, I'd be here for like you. You stayed on Glengarriff Road and Sea Points, and they had those big trees mm. on just that yeah. street, and it makes it such a nice street. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think yeah, you could. It would need need to be. Yeah, I think more trees would would definitely it would definitely be something that we I could get behind. It's a, I guess it's where. You know where where do you where do you start with those kind of things, right? Mm. I know it's there's a specific uh, yeah. You don't want to. <laughs> I think it's almost selfish, right? It's kind of like the, the <laughs> yeah. settlers, right? They're like, oh, let's just plant pine trees. We like pine trees. Uh, yeah, why don't just yeah. release squirrels? We want squirrels. <laughs> so do do you think this would have a an effect on like people's mental health or psyche? Because and this is not a fact, so don't quote me on it. Um, there was like a really windy city in Canada somewhere and a person killed another person. And then his justification in court is that the wind made him insane. And so he pleaded insanity yeah. on this, on the case of like wind insanity. I think it would, I think it would take people, take people off. Right. I mean, if you are indoors, yeah, it would be fine. If you live in like a place, maybe lower on the social spec the social sort of hierarchy where you don't necessarily have you know brick and mortar house uh maybe you live in a hut or you live in like a you know shack or something like that informal homes that's going to be a little bit tough it's going to be tough uh, there's going to be a lot of people and i think almost to the same maybe going back to you know the disparity between rich and poor like i think the People who have money will be able to escape and the people who don't won't and yeah. maybe there's a there's a matching to how it would be if you know the planet were to get warmer or you know if flooding were to happen the people yeah that's a very very good money. Uh, way of putting it is that like climate change is coming i i don't like to be fatalist but the fact mm. of the matter is that we're not doing enough fast enough to actually prevent climate change we need to really kick things up a notch and we're not so it's you know it's thrown around that Climate change is disproportionately going to affect lower income communities. And that's absolutely true. I mean, if I just think about Cape Town, as soon as you head out onto Mitchell's Plain, it's just rows upon rows of corrugated iron hammered together. That's 
not great to live in on the best of days and on the yeah. worst of days, which let me tell you is definitely when it's really windy in Cape Town. Yeah. It must be awful. Just whistling and banging and rattling and whew, whew. Yeah. But I think to, to spin it back into a positive note with something like the environment, I've been doing a little bit of research around it lately. And I feel that there could be these feed forward loops within, you know, environmental sustainable development. The thing is, like, if you take two objects that are exactly the same, except one is more sustainable than the other, you basically have a consumer demand for the more sustainable product. Assuming everything else is equal. So at that point, you have a consumer motive for driving uh, sustainability, right? And from what I've been reading lately, it's like, it just takes a couple of leaders to kind of push that within their company that they're going to move to be more sustainable, then incorporating that into their brand. And then you get more people to buy into that brand. And then you push out the other actors in the ecosystem. And then they have to adapt because they're losing market share because they Mm. aren't as green. And it's almost like a feed forward loop in a sense that if you change the mindset from something that it's just like the consumer has to recycle more and it's more the producers that are taking control of driving the market towards that, then I feel like there's going to be a certain point where it's just going to be very rapid. And in the same way that we can't think about, you know, big numbers, it's also hard to comprehend exponential, you know, like one person inspiring three people, inspiring 10 people, inspiring 50. I think it does have the ability, if there's a good catalyst at the beginning, to rapidly move towards those ideals. So with regard to to the initial economic idea of, you know, all things being equal, I think you're entirely right, is that people overall, they want to make a choice that is more in line with their the way that they perceive their own ethics, but are also quote unquote economic men, economic people. And so we'll choose the more economically feasible thing across the board. And I think that right over there is where governmental subsidies really come into play, is that shifting subsidies towards the things that have the better impact or the less worse impact or whatever the metric may be over there is a very, very powerful lever in society to pull. So the idea that we're still subsidizing things like fishing uh, fossil fuels. Okay. I understand why we subsidize fossil fuels on an economic level because of just the like the importance that it plays inside of that yeah. society's role because you and, increase and the price energy, of petrol, yeah. say you increase the price of everything. But by, by moving stuff over to like renewables and subsidizing that, you more quickly can get onto an even playing field with say like coal, right? Mm. Uh, subsidizing battery development would be a really good way of doing that or just some other form of like localized energy storage. Hmm. So thinking in a, in a longer timeline, and also thinking about those kind of design models, you can really bring about a resilience in your own business to these effects. And by the same token, you can also improve, you know, the like sustainability of everything. And let's yeah. assume you're inside of a country that has uh, that is allowed to generate nuclear power and has the, the ability to set up nuclear power plants and stuff. It's only it's only breaks even at year sixteen, right? Yeah, or around there. And whereas a natural gas plant is like break even by year three. But it produces a lot better and greener power and it more than makes up for 
the initial cost of it in the long run. It's just a bit of a risky investment because, again, only breaking even at year 16, which is a very long time frame. And politicians tend to only be in office for a shorter period of time than that. Yeah. Right. So the people who are actually making those decisions need to have that longer time frame. But they're they're looking to be re-elected into office or yeah. not. Right. So so things like that tend to go under the rug, whereas things like natural gas, which can be set up during this period of time that you're in office, um, yeah. are actually really appealing. Exactly. So you kind of you forego the long-term benefits and you take on things that are going to make you look good and get you re-elected.